well, some people are excited about it. We're going to get straight into it. James 1, verses 16 to 27. I'm going to read the whole bit of scripture, and then we're going to have a look at how that breaks down. Are you ready for this? It says, don't be deceived. In other words, this is likely an area in your life that you don't see things correctly. Are you with me? So many people think they know the scripture and they don't. I don't know it. I sat under a theologian this week with a doctor in theology and a master's in philosophy just explaining a few things theologically. And I'm a pastor. I'm sitting there going, my brain's exploding because I'm seeing things that I've never seen before. Don't be deceived, he's saying. In other words, when it comes to the word of God and when it comes to some of the things that the word of God says, we will sometimes deceive ourselves if we don't see it correctly. Can I just explain something to you? Do not Google. Google theology is not theology. Okay, theology means just the study of God. Any idiot can put their crap on Google. Seriously. There's one on there at the moment about all sorts of weird stuff. Don't Google theology, all right? If you want to get better in your theology, come and talk to me. I'll point you in the right direction. Because Google, every, every monkey on the face of the planet can put his stuff on there, right? Are you with me? So it says, don't be deceived. In other words, we've got to make sure that we're not being deceived. We've got to see things correctly. My brothers and sisters, every good and perfect gift is from where? Above. In other words, if it's good, God did it. If it's bad, he didn't do it. If it's a good thing, it's all God. If it's a bad thing, it's always the devil. God is always good. The devil is always bad. Have we got that clear? Coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows, he chose to give us, and I want you to see this five times he's going to mention the word of God here. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that's the word of God, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That's something that none of us do. Don't look at me like that. None of us do that. I didn't do that yesterday. I had a bit of a grumpy moment yesterday. (laughs) Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, he's he's just like, this James is just like, I'm just going to get right in your face. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, basically saying in us, And humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at the face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. I don't know about you, but I'm quite glad that I forget what I look like sometimes in the mirror. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes I think I look really good and then I look in the mirror and I realize I don't look so good after all. And after looking at himself, and the thing is, is the reason why he mentions the mirror is because biblically the Bible talks about the Bible being a mirror. That when we look at the Bible, it's a, it, it reflects who we really are. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law, in other words, the word of God, that gives freedom and it con- and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed. In other words, five times it mentions here about the power of the word of God and how your blessing in your life is connected to your attitude towards the word of God. 
And what they do, it says, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that our God accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Five times he's saying here, don't be deceived about the power of the word of God in your life. God is saying that this printed book of words, the Bible, the word of God, the scriptures, that if you have the right attitude towards the word of God, it has the power to anchor you and keep you stable in the middle of all that happens in your life. Because remember, we've just talked about trials and temptations. And so this is the follow on. He's talked about trials. He's talked about temptations. And then he goes, and the key to all of that, to hold you steadfast is the word of God. Having a right attitude towards the word of God will hold you tightly in a crisis. The most critical thing you can do in crisis, the most critical thing you can do in a trial or a temptation is to stay true to the Word of God. It anchors you. It secures you. It's a foundation for your life. And if there is anything in our world right now that is uh, under direct assault, it's actually the Word of God. Do you know in California, they're trying to outrule the Bible legally because they because of hate speech. If there's anything that's under attack in our culture today, it's, it's, it's the Word of God. And I'm concerned about that because most people don't know it. Most people don't read it. Most people don't believe what it says because they think, oh, well, that's got flaws. I'm not sure that that's right because, you know, today's a little bit different than back then. And so we think it has flaws. And I'm telling you that if we don't read it, if we don't believe it, if we start to question it too much, it will destroy your life and the enemy knows it. And that's why in Genesis 3.1, the very first thing that the devil ever said to mankind was, did God really say? Right from the start, he showed that his agenda, he set the tone right from the beginning that the enemy's work will be forever to question the word of God in your life and try to get you to doubt it. It is a most important item on his agenda. He's always questioning the word, trying to get you to doubt the power of the word, trying to get you to doubt its accuracy, and trying to get you to doubt that it actually can help you in your life. But reading the Word of God is the single most important discipline that you need, especially when we're in the middle of a crisis. But we have a problem. We have a generation that think that they know a whole lot more than God does. So they pick and choose the parts that they like and the parts that they don't like. That was then, this is now. God didn't have today's society in mind when he wrote that. Because that simply just doesn't work in our generation and in this day and age. They think that they know best. They follow their feelings way too much. Let me help you out. Feelings can't be trusted. Feelings lie. And so they just live their whole entire lives following their feelings because God wants me to be happy, yes? No, he doesn't. God doesn't want you to be happy. God wants you to be holy. Oh. He doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be holy. He wants to do a work on the inside of you. And the enemy has lied to you over and over again that some of this is just not applicable to you. It's all applicable. In Proverbs, it says this, 
in chapter 16, verse 25, there is a way that seems right, seems right, seems right to a man, but in the end leads to death. Oh, but this is how I feel. Yeah, but just because that's how you feel doesn't mean that it's right. How do you know whether something is right or wrong? By whether it ends in death or not. Oh, man, it's quiet. How do we know whether abortion is right or wrong? Does it end in death? It's pretty simple, isn't it? You know something is right or wrong by whether it leads to death or not. And here's the thing. I don't have to prove whether God's word is true or not to you or to anybody that asks me that. I just need to sit back and watch because life will teach you it's true. I don't don't think you get it. You and I have seen people go through this and go, oh, no, I don't think that applies to me. I think I can do whatever I want. I don't need to obey that part of Scripture. I I think I can do whatever I want. And you know what? I just sit back and I just go, okay, that's your choice. And I just sit there and life will teach them that what God said is true. Well, I don't believe what you believe. That's fine. I'll just wait here for you. I'll just wait here. And when your life turns and you come back to me, I'll... I won't say I told you so. I know it's strong today, but you're going to get over it. Sometimes the reason why we don't believe some of the things that the Bible teaches is because the church has done theology really, really badly. Really badly. Our theology around holiness is wrong. So this is is what we've been taught in church about holiness, right? I'm going to pick on Rimmer this morning. I'm... I'm, a, I'm, I'm the holy one, all right? He's the bad one, all right? He's the filthy sinner. I'm the holy one. And what the church has taught is that this is holiness. Holiness is, is that you're set apart. So, holy, so the church has taught this, that holiness is that we separate ourselves. And the further we get away from the world, the holier we have become. Yet Jesus said this, be holy as I am holy. And Jesus didn't separate himself, but Jesus actually separated himself from the religious people and the legalistic people and hung out with the sinners, the prostitutes, and the tax collectors. Why? Because holiness is not about separation. Holiness is a distinction. There's a distinct difference about me because I'm a follower of Christ. I don't separate myself from the world. I'm just distinct inside the world. Yes? Because Jesus believed this, that his holiness was more infectious than people's sin. Now, I say this, don't be like a bull in a china shop if you can't handle going to the pub with your mates. Maybe you need a time where you don't do that and you get yourself strong so that you don't drink and get drunk. But there comes a time where you're not meant to separate, but you're meant to, once you're strong enough, once you feel like God has spoken to you, you need to let yourself get back into that arena because we don't separate ourselves, we become a distinction. And I remember when I was playing over 35 soccer, because over 35 soccer has rolling subs. She can go on for like five minutes and go, I'm off. That's why I loved it. And I had guys in my team that would, tr- that, that would sit around in the club afterwards and, and they'd all buy rounds. And sitting in front of me would be five, six, seven beers sitting in front of me because they keep on buying them for me, even though I'm just like, I'll, I'll just have a V. I'll just have a Coke. And they just kept on buying beers and I'd go buy a Coke. And then when it came to my time to shout, I'd just redistribute it. 
It's awesome. Didn't cost me a cent. And the number of them that pulled me to one side, especially this one guy called Fitzy, pulled me to one side and said, hey, when I die, can you do my funeral? Because there's something different about you. You see, there was a distinction, not a separation. Church has done theology badly. Another one where we do it really, really badly is on marriage. We talk about marriage as if it's the be-all and end-all. Yet Jesus and Paul says it's better to be single. We don't celebrate singleness in the church. Jesus did. Paul did. Paul said, if you can't handle your sexual desires, you should get married. And then what we've done is we've made marriage all about sex. I said the S word in church. Get over yourselves. (laughs) Would you rather your children learn about sex from Shortland Street? So we've got some things wrong. And because we've got some things wrong, we have people that either come into the church who have never grown up in church, never grown up in God, or they're on the outside and they're looking in. And and that's because we've portrayed bad theology, it, it has caused them to think particular things about who God is that he's not. And so they think they can't come to church because they've got too much sin in their lives. We're not holy enough. If I walk into the car park, God might strike me dead. Not understanding that that's not holiness, that everybody's welcome. No one's excluded in the kingdom. Holiness is not separation. It's a distinction. Come on. But also, some of us are a bit stupid and we just think that we know more than God does. And so we think he got it wrong. And we know what we're doing because, you know, after all, we are God. That was a joke. But James says this, that once you, once you understand the difference between a trial and a temptation, you need to have the right attitude towards the word of God. So, so what is going to be the basis for how you live your life? You know, our laws in this country are written on the basis of Scripture. Where do you think the law, do not murder, don't steal? Where do you think that came from? It came from Scripture because Christ, God, sets the ethics of our world. It's not man-made ideas, it's God-made ideas. So what is going to be the basis of how we live? Are we going to live based on the world or are we going to live based on the word? Psalm 119, 81. In fact, Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the entire Bible, right? And every single verse is about the word of God. Did you know that? It says here, my soul is weak waiting for you to save you, but my hope is based on your word. In other words, yes, I have storms, but I've anchored myself to the word of God. Matthew 7, 24 to 25 says this, therefore anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock, that is Christ. And the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fail because its foundation was on the rock. In other words, you're not going to be a void of trials. You're not going to be void of storms. But when the word of God is the foundation, you build your life on it, you stand firm. You see, because the Bible is not a book, it is God. John 1 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, where it was with God, and the Word was God. It's not a book, it's Jesus on paper. It's the living Word of God that changes our lives. 
And so my goal today, hopefully by the end of this, is that you will fall in love with the Word of God, that you'll have a heart for it, because it's what we need. The first thing that, we, that James talks about in here in that scripture that I just read out before, is the first thing he says is that we need to gratefully receive the truth that saves me. Gratefully receive the truth that saves me. James 1, 16 to 18 says this, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows, but chooses to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be kind of first fruits of all he created. What, what does it mean by first fruits? Well, we, we don't really understand this because of the time that we're in. But back in those days, they, everything they, they ate, they grew. They grew stuff. They, they farmed. They did all that. And then they sold that. And then they made a living off that. Like if you go to a lot of poorer countries, like even into the islands, Fiji and stuff like that, that that's how a lot of people live. They, they grow food and they sell it in the markets. And, and that's how they that's how they make a living. That's what they do. And so what they would do is that the first of their crop, the first fruits of the crop that they had um, grown, they would give as an offering to God. And this is where the principle of the tithe comes from. And, and, and the reality is, is that, that the principle of the tithe really has nothing to do with money or the amount. In, in our day and age, we give money because that's our first fruits. That's what we produce it, it, what it's trying to say here is first fruits is an attitude thing. Uh, that I produce this and then the first of it, I'm going to give it to God. So whatever I produce in my life, the first of it, I'm going to give to God. So James is saying here that the word of God has come and it's rebirthed you and it's done something in you. And now we've be, we have become a first fruits. In other words, because of what God has done in me, the first of what he does, I give back to him. Hence why we have church on Sunday, because it's the first day of the week. It's your here and attendance is your way of first fruits. You're giving the first day of your week to God. It's a first fruits. It's an offering. Church isn't just something that we, that we do because we've got nothing else to do. It's because we want to... We want to say to God, hey, when it comes to my week, you come first. It's the first fruits of my life. Before I have a week, I want to give the first day of that week to God. And they didn't do this because they had to. Because a lot of people go, oh, tithing's of the Old Testament. Came in way before the law did. And then Jesus says in Matthew, you tithe like you should to the Pharisees. So don't get into the whole Old Testament is Old Testament, it's irrelevant because it's not. They, did this, they didn't do this because they had to, they did this because they wanted to. And that's why, that's why giving is an attitude thing. So don't give because you feel like you have to. If you're giving because you feel like you have to, please don't. Because that's the wrong attitude to give in. James is saying here, I, I, I realise that God has saved me. I understand I am completely uh, got so thankful, so grateful for the truth that has saved me. And because of that, I want to give the first fruits of my life 
to him, my first response to God, the first of my time, the first of my finances, the first of my life, the first of my week, whatever you ask of me, God, you can have because I'm kind of a first fruits because of your word that saved me. I'm so grateful for it. It's an attitude when it comes to the word that these are truths that saved me. And what joy it is to know God, yeah? Come on, what, what, and, and because of what he has done, I want to give anything that I have to him. It's an attitude. I don't know about you, but how many people in this room are grateful that you've been saved, that you've been delivered, that you've been healed, that you've been restored? I don't know about you, but what he's saying here is let's, let's, let's the first fruits of our lives show how grateful we are for this word that came and saved us. The second thing that James talks about is that we need to humbly accept the truth that confronts me. Humbly accept the truth that confronts me. Why, why does he say humbly accept it? Because a lot of us, including myself, have pride when it comes to what we think is true. And so we read the Bible and we say, well, God obviously didn't know what he was talking about back then because things have changed. He didn't write it with this day and culture in mind. You've heard that, haven't you? But James says this in verse 19. He says, dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to what? Listen, slow to, slow to become. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted into in you which can save you. In other words, he's saying here, when the word of God is confronting to you and you have one of them like moments, anybody have those? I have those on a regular basis. When you have one of them moments, don't get an attitude about it. Don't get prideful about it. Because the Bible says this, let every man be a liar except God. God is true. Everyone else is a liar. So, so don't, get, don't get angry about it. Don't get all offended about it. Don't get all prideful about it. But just go, hey, I mean, I'm, I'm going to humbly accept that. I don't like it. It doesn't feel comfortable. You may not even agree with it, but it's the word and the word is truth and the truth will set you free. And so we have to humbly accept it. The point I'm trying to make is this, is that there will be times when you read something in your Bible and you're not going to want to do what it says to do. I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life where I don't want to forgive that person. And then I read that, that if we forgive people that God is our vengeance and he puts hot coals into their laps, so then I decided I'll forgive people for that reason. How many know that's not the right attitude? It's not kind of what Jesus was meaning. It's not really good to be praying and forgiving somebody but picturing them with hot coals in their lap in the, at the moment that you're praying for them. Sometimes I just don't want to do what it says to do. Sometimes I don't even possibly agree with what it says. And James says that in that moment, you have to make a decision. You have to make a decision to humbly accept what he is saying. We don't get to cherry pick the parts of the Bible that we like. And what we don't like. You know, oh, I don't know if I agree with that. Well, then you don't understand how gods work. Because that's what gods do. 
God set the rules. It's not a committee. There's a king, and the king calls the shots. And the servants serve, and the sons and daughters obey. It's what gods do. He gets to tell you what is right and wrong. That is what a God is, and that's what a God does. I love this quote by Tim Keller, who's a pastor in America. He says, if your God never disagrees with you, you might be worshipping an idealism version of yourself. If your God never disagrees with you, it's because you're worshipping yourself. I am God. Because every opinion I have is right and correct. You're going to disagree with God. He doesn't have a problem with that. He's just saying, man, you've got to humbly accept what I'm saying. Because remember, every good gift comes from above. So even when we don't like it, it's a good thing for us. It's a good thing for us. You will have moments where you'll be like, I don't know if I want to live like this or believe this. And James says, in that moment, you better, you better make a humble decision and accept it. Do you know that word accept in that scripture in the Greek means to welcome like a stranger? means to welcome like a stranger. Say a stranger turns up to your house and they knock on the door and they introduce themselves. You don't know who they are, but they're wanting to come into the house. You don't know who they are. You don't know what the conversation's going to be about because they kind of knock on the door. Hi, my name is, um, I don't know, if, Gerald, and, um, and I want to talk to you about something. You don't know who he is. You don't know what the conversation's going to be about. And, and some of you will be like, yeah, you know, um, yeah, just, uh, yeah, we can stand here in the, in the porch and talk if you like. You know, it's not generally, we don't generally welcome a stranger into our house, but, but what James is saying here is that when the word of God comes to you like that and, and it's something that you don't like or it's something that you possibly don't agree with or something that you're difficult with, he says, welcome him in like a stranger. Like, welcome him in, sit him down at the, at the kitchen table and make him a cup of tea or a cup of coffee if you're godly and, and welcome him in and embrace it. You don't know what the conversation's going to be, but you've got to welcome them in. And that's the approach that God is saying when it comes to God's word, when there are things that you don't like, you've got to welcome it in. You've got to bring it in. You've got to let it sit down in your life and have a conversation with you. There's going to be times where the word of God gets up and slaps you right in the face with some truths that you don't want to hear. And the Bible is saying here that you need to have an open door to that. You need to welcome that into your life. First Thessalonians 2.13 says this, We also thank God continually because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as human word, but but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you, who believe. In other words, here's the thing. If we don't welcome the word in, if we don't uh, believe it, even though we might disagree with it, Thessalonians are saying here, it doesn't work in you. If you won't receive it in like that, it won't do a work in you. I know a lot of people, a lot of Christians that I know, and they're like, I don't understand why this isn't working. And I, I think it's because we're not welcoming it in when we don't like it. It has to be welcomed in for it to work. It has to be welcomed in for it to work. 
You see, here's a, here's a quote I heard and I like it. The mark of a God-changed heart is that I like God telling me how to live. The mark of a God-changed heart is that I like God telling me how to live. We're all such control freaks, aren't we? Yes? Well, I know I am. But a God-changed heart is someone who likes God telling them how to live. It's an attitude towards the Word of God. Grateful for the truth that saved us. Humbly accept the truth that it says. And thirdly, intently embrace the truth that guides me. Intently embrace the truth that guides me. James says this, Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks in the face in a mirror. Remember I said earlier that the Bible compares itself to a mirror where it just kind of reflects who you are. I don't know about you, but there has been times where I look in the mirror and I kind of think to myself, does Trinity not love me? Because I've got this long nasal hair that's sticking out. And it's obviously been there all day And I've had meetings with people all day and they're probably just doing this whole thing of while I'm talking to them, as I'm sharing my wisdom, they're just going, nasal here. (laughs) And I'm looking in the mirror going, babe, (laughs) why didn't you tell me? That's what the Bible does. It's a mirror and it goes, hey, you've got a long nasal here hanging down. And then you've got a choice. You either pluck it or you ignore it and go and live how you want to live anyway. It, it, it's, that's what it does. It reveals to us what we need to do. Looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. In other words, the, the word convicts us, the word corrects us, and then we just walk away and forget that it even said that. But whoever looks, what? Intently, intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, what will they be? They will be blessed in what they do. They will be blessed in what they do. Not just people that just look at it and forget about it, but people that actually do what it says They will be blessed in what they do. So let me give you four quick things as we finish. Get the musicians and singers to come. As we finish about what you need to do. Here's the first thing. I love Bible apps and all that sort of stuff. But can you get yourself a paper Bible? Get a real one. Get a real one. Why do you need a real one? Because you need to be able to take time to set aside with that where you can read it, study it, and meditate on it. When you have a real one, you can sit down and you can read it. You make a time. That's the first thing you got to do. Make a time. Don't go, oh, I'll fit it in somewhere. No, make a time. Make a time. Make a time. I, I've been really struggling probably for about five or six months now of waking up at about four o'clock in the morning. I don't like it very much. But you know what's become my Bible time? Don't get me wrong, I'm happy for God to let me sleep till 6 a.m. tomorrow. But it's become my Bible time. And it's actually gone from something I dread to something I actually kind of cherish now. Even though by about 8.30 at night, I'm like... 
And if you, if you don't have a set time, can I, can I encourage you to do this? Just find 10 minutes in the morning and 10 minutes before you go to bed. Because I think if you do 10 minutes in the morning, it sets the tone for your day. And if you do 10 minutes before you go to bed at night, it sets the tone for the next day. Just spend time, read it, study it, meditate on it. What is it saying? Third thing, get a reading plan. Don't just do. Judas went and hung himself. You do the same. Um, No, get a proper reading plan. Yeah, are you with me? And here's the fourth thing. Don't just read the Bible. Let the Bible read you. Don't just read it. Let it read you. What are you saying to me, God? What are you speaking to me? God, what are you, this, is, this is kind of what I do when I'm reading it. God, what, what are you trying to say to me? This word is a mirror. What are you, what are you trying to show me today about my life? What, what is it in my life that needs to be plucked or changed or improved? What, what are you showing? I have an expectation. I have a highlighter because I expect God to speak to me. I don't pick it up once. It happens. I pick it up before I even open it. Because I expect God to speak to me. And then I pray, I pray, God, do a work on the inside of me in Jesus' name. As I read this, do a work on the inside of me. Do a work on the inside of me. Do a work on the inside of me. I, I want you to love the Word of God. I want you to love it in a way that you've never loved it before. Why? Because when we love the Word of God, it produces something. What does it produce? James says this in, in 127. It says, religion that our God accepts as pure and faultless as this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself by being polluted by the world. I've never seen this before. I've read this scripture so many times, but I've never seen this before. The first thing he says is orphans and widows, look after orphans and widows in their distress. In other words, become a person of justice. Care about those that are oppressed. Care about those that are poor. Care about those that are in need. And then it says, and don't be polluted by the world. In other words, care about righteousness. Care about living your life right. Care about justice and care about righteousness. Why is this so important? Because we live in a world and a society that's telling you, you have to pick one or the other. You either have to be a justice warrior over here or you have to be a conservative religious person over here. And you know that's the world we live in. The problem with people that are just for justice is as long as they're oppressed to help and the poor are help, they don't care how people live. So you can live however you want. We don't care how you live. The problem of just being a righteous person over here, all you do is care about how people live and you just want to point out to them their sin and their problems and all that, and you don't actually care about the oppressed or the poor or the hurting. And what the Bible teaches here is that when the Word of God gets alive on the inside of you, when we make it as priority, you become justice and righteousness. The world's trying to separate justice and righteousness, but God says, no, 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 they're not separated. They go together. They walk hand in hand. Justice caring about the and righteousness caring about how they live. Because you know what? There's no point telling people how bad they are if you're not going to help them. But if you help them and then point them to Jesus, what's the point? And he's saying, we don't have to choose sides. We can be both. 
The world will tell you that the two are separated, but God says, no, they're together. Justice and righteousness is the foundation of a kingdom life. We are kingdom people. We, are, we do both what God wants on the inside of us, and we do stuff that God wants us to do on the outside of us. We are kingdom people. We don't do one or the other. We do both. We're justice and righteousness. We care about the oppressed and we care about living right. Why? Because the Word of God is doing a work on the inside of us. We humbly accept it. When it slaps us in the face, we're grateful for the truth in it that saved us. And we intently study and read it. Because we know that we'll be blessed in all we do if we do that. And the outcome of people that have the Word of God as a priority on their life is this justice in the world and this righteousness in the world. Working together, transforming communities, changing nations, because that's what the Word of God does. does. I pray that you and I would become so in love with the Word of God that we would allow it to direct us wherever God would want us, even when we struggle to agree with it, because we understand that every good and perfect gift comes from God. Why don't we stand to our feet this morning?